there's a righteousness now. You know, the Old Testament was law, and then they had to have a sacrificial system. Yeah, you can be dismissed for children's church. Anybody else want to go? Um, you know, in the Old Testament, it was the law. It was the law of God. And, of course, there was a, substitute, there was a sacrificial system because they, they couldn't fulfill the law. And there had to be a substitute, and so that's what they believed in. They believed that God would accept the sacrifices uh, instead of punishing them for their sin. Okay? So, but now the Bible says there's a righteousness that comes no longer by the law. Amen? But it comes by faith in Christ alone. So folks, if you're here today and we talk about, you've heard people talk about being saved, being born again, what it means to be a believer, we believe that Christ alone saves us from our sins. Amen? So we believe by faith, in Christ alone is the only means of salvation. The Bible is God's word to man. I want you to know that. So your Bibles are open to 1 Timothy, and we'll finish, hopefully, 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know, we're going through the pastoral epistles. Robbie read some verses in Acts chapter 16 that are extremely important to our text this morning. Um, you can follow if you, and we've, you know, I was reading some notes the other day, and I, most of you don't remember this, but I have preached through the book of Acts twice. I'm, of course, I've been here almost 25 years, and also I was looking at my notes. I've preached through the first and second Timothy three times, but the last time I preached through first and second Timothy was in 2012. It just seems like the other day, but it was, you know, 12 years ago, so... Um, so we need to go back through the pastoral epistles. But hold your finger. <laughs> That's one of my favorite words. Is hold your finger there. Or I, I got a bookmark. But I want you to flip back to Acts 16. And I want you to see the context. This is where. And folks this matters. Because when. Like for instance you know. I mean you and I. We've all lived long enough. We've met people. Maybe some of our friends. Or neighbors. Or relatives somewhere who just up and decide that they are going to start a church or that they're going to get together with some people or they're disgruntled with somebody and they're going to move and they're going to start a church or somebody just decides they're going to be a preacher. Well, the Bible doesn't confirm that nor affirm that. They're, like, how in the world was it that Timothy, who was young, a young man, Good chance when he started traveling with Paul, he was probably in his 20s, late 20s, young guy. How in the world did, did he end up going with Paul? Um, and you find that, and, that's, and Mike Cohn and I were talking about that this morning, if Mike's still in here. There's a lot of things in the Bible you sure wish it said a lot more about, and this is one of them, but it's telling us a little bit about how Timothy started traveling with um, Paul, and you read that in Acts 16, and you see uh, people recognized the, the holiness or the life of, of Timothy. I mean, we're, we're reading in 1 Timothy, that's where we're preaching in just a minute, and he's pastoring in Ephesus by the time we get to 1 Timothy. But when you're reading Acts 16, how in the world was it that Timothy started traveling with Paul 
By the way, it's his second missionary journey. And Paul's going through several little cities. Timothy is from Lystra, but there's Derby, Iconium, and Lystra are the three cities that are mentioned. And it implies that Timothy was well known in all of those cities. Now, you don't do it now, but go look in a map. And of course, if you go to Israel, then you'll go to Syria, then go west, and you'll see these cities. They're, they're like 10, 15, 20 miles apart. Now think about it. I mean, this is 2,000 years ago. They didn't drive there when Timothy went from place to place preaching or whatever he was doing to have such a great reputation in these three areas. He was walking or riding a donkey. So, he, I mean, he got around and these groups of people knew who he was. And so they recommended, hey, now think about that. Paul has already passed through here one time. Now he's on his second time around missionary journey. He's going to travel thousands of miles. By the way, I read where in Paul's ministry of the three missionary journeys that we can record in Acts, he traveled over 10,000 miles. Folks, that's by horse, donkey, or on a ship, or on your feet. 10,000 miles. That's incredible, isn't it? But he was the apostle to the Gentiles. God commanded him, called him, saved him late in life, and called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So my first point, we're going to get to act, I mean to First Timothy and just there's a people. God, God uses people, just like me and you. We know that Timothy was young, we know Timothy was timid, and we also know Timothy had health problems. But did that change the call of God in his life? No. God called him to preach the gospel. He was trained by the Apostle Paul. Paul saw that in Timothy. And there was only a handful of men that traveled with Paul. Uh, and sometimes Paul wouldn't let, like one time he wouldn't let John Mark, as in the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. He, wouldn't let, he would not let John Mark go with him because of some things that John Mark had done. He, you know, he had kind of chickened out on one. Anyway, so, so Paul picked him. So I want you to see that in Acts 16. I hate to be redundant, but Paul, in verse 1, Acts 16, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. By the way, who else do we know was a believer besides his mom? That's right, his grandmother. We read that in 2 Timothy the faith that was in his mother and his grandmother. Uh, Lois, and what was the other one's name? Eunice. Okay? But obviously his dad wasn't saved. Okay, Wasn't born again. So believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers. Now folks, in church life, it matters. Now again, you can serve Jesus without credentials. I mean, and I've gone on to tell you that I, I was a staff member, full-time staff member at two churches for years and never had been ordained. Having the, you know, having the credentials is not essential, but in life, normally, spiritual leadership is recognized by the local church and they recognize that and they confirm that through the local church. So what I said earlier is, People just can't decide biblically. Now they do it. They just can't decide on their own. I'm going to start a church. A church confirms somebody's gifts and somebody's abilities to start a church. 
So usually churches birth churches. Now I will tell you just another side note. The Southern Baptist Convention has been in a huge campaign for several years of starting new churches, starting new works. And we have started new works literally all over the world. And, I mean, that's a great emphasis. I mean, sometimes some decisions you might question, but we are starting new works. And the church starts the church. You know, so, so he says, so he was, his dad was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers. So Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. What a great honor that could have been, or was, I'm sure, for Timothy. Can you imagine? Of the dozens and dozens and dozens of men, especially on the second missionary journey, because if you're thinking about history, there's a lot of churches Paul was seeing and visiting that he had traveled in a year earlier that the churches had started. They had ordained men to lead the church. There had been deacons assigned. So there had been dozens and dozens of leadership that he had met on this missionary journey, but he asked Timothy. So it says, what a great honor. But it tells you a lot about Timothy's character. And then you have to ask yourself, how about you? Because of your spiritual life, because of your Christ-likeness, would, would somebody ask you to help be a leader? I mean, this, you know, it may not be to be a deacon or to be a pastor, but to lead because they see that in you. Think about that. Think of the significance of that. And it all starts with the church. That's why you need to be involved in the church. So it says... Uh, and, and because of the Jews who were in those places, and he, you know, as Paul travels during the diaspora, you don't care about that word, but it's dispersed. You know, the Jews were Christians were he, Jewish Christians were heavily persecuted in and around Jerusalem. The, Rome, the Romans just so they went to other cities, got out, got out of Jerusalem, and and so in all these little villages, which were Gentile villages, towns there were large pockets of Jews. So when Paul would go to a city, there would be Jews there most of the time. By the way, if there were, I want to say if there were 20 families, that may be 30. If there were 20 or 30 families in a city, what, what do you know was going to be there? A synagogue. So where would Paul normally go when he got to a city first? He would go to the synagogue. And why would he go to the synagogue? Now, not, it doesn't mean all of them were believers, but they were Jews. Judaism, what did they know that Gentiles didn't? They knew the Old Testament. They knew God was a covenant God. And these Jews knew that God made a promise that a Messiah would come. So he would go preach the gospel that Christ was that Messiah. So that's why we'd go to the Jews first. And the Bible says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when Paul went to a city, he would try to, if there was a synagogue, that's where he would go first to start preaching the gospel. But he had, and we'll move on from this, but he had Timothy circumcised. Himself, he did it himself because he did not want Timothy to be a stumbling block because everybody in those cities around Lystra knew that Timothy, and a lot of them were Jewish believers, they knew that Timothy's dad was a pagan and they knew that he had not been circumcised as, as a devout Jew and so Paul took care of that. And folks, listen, we don't have to do those things but there's sometimes in your life you make choices because you don't want to be a stumbling block. Amen? Yes, you have the liberty. There are certain things we have liberty with. <clears throat> but we choose not to do things, not based on ourselves, but based on other people's conscience. So Paul wanted to eliminate that stumbling block, and so he did it, as we would say, right out of the box. 
So no Jewish person could say, well, old Timothy hadn't even been circumcised. He's not committed. So Timothy was. And so now we're back to 1 Timothy. So I want you to see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to jump around in chapter 1, but number 1, it's about the people that God uses. I'm in verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, well, I shouldn't have had you change that. But go, now hold your finger here. Go back to Acts, okay? Go to Acts chapter 9, okay? Now this is, the so Paul's an apostle. He, tell, he says of himself that he is an apostle born out of due time. And what that means is, is that he did not, he knew of Jesus, obviously. He was a contemporary of Christ. But he was not called by Christ when Jesus was here the first 30 year, 33 years or the three years of his public ministry. Paul was called by Christ on the road to Damascus several weeks or months after Christ had ascended into heaven. So he says he was an apostle born out of, born out of due time. So I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. And I'm not going to go into all of Paul's, all of Paul's conversion but I do want you to notice um, a little bit about what goes on here in, in Acts 9. Uh, the conversion of Saul, if you're looking, he was breathing threats, verse 1, in murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked, obviously it's Jerusalem, and asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus. Now you're helping when later on look at a map of where Jerusalem is and then look at Damascus. He was going to go a long way. He wanted to go to Damascus because when he went there, he was going to persecute Christians in Damascus. So he needed letters of authority from the high priest in Jerusalem. So he says, so that if we found uh, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's going there to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem to be prosecuted, often killed, uh, lying, putting lines in. Stoned. Uh, if they were in if they were in Rome, they'd be they'd be putting the lines in. Or Nero. I don't want to get off into all this, but his brutality. They would dip. They would dip Christians um, in in a rubber substance and burn them as if they were a candle. That's how they would kill them. Um, they would burn them to death. But it's, it's just incredible. So. He was going, so he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you, uh, by the way, look at your Bibles, verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. And what's interesting, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus talking to Paul, Saul. Paul was persecuting Christians. But ultimately, who was he persecuting? Jesus Christ. Paul never got over that. In all of his testimonies, he mentions the guilt he bore for being such, such a wicked pagan. And, and, and he was humiliated by that. We'll show you that later on this morning, hopefully. we have time. And he said, who are you, Lord? But look at verse... Go look at verse... Uh, Verse 10, so he ends up, he, you know, he's struck and he goes to, into Damascus and, and he's blinded and the event, but now it looks, so verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, 
here I am, Lord. Isn't that great? Can you imagine? Obviously, Luke probably had a first-hand account of that. He probably talked to Ananias because Luke wrote and traveled a lot with Paul. But anyway, and, and, and the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. It's pretty simple directions. Obviously, Damascus was not in a huge, huge city, but go to the straight street, right? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what Christ does? He puts all of us on the straight street, so to speak, the way. Isn't it? And there's, you can spiritualize it a little bit, but let's move on. And in the house, in the go to the house on Straight Street, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might again receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, look what he says. And this is what, and this is why he's going to, Ananias is going to obey him. Look what he says about Paul. So we learned a little bit about Timothy. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, He is my chosen vessel. So put your hands on him. Lay your hands on him. And when he did, obviously, things like scales and he could see. It's a great testimony. So Ananias was told by the Lord that Paul was a chosen vessel. So now we know Timothy was chosen by Paul. And we know that Christ himself chose Paul. Great, great story. Um, if you look at Acts look at Acts 13. Real, I don't know why I turned my Bible. Go, go back to Acts uh, let me see if I can track this just a little bit. Look at Acts. Look at Acts uh, 13. It says, now, there were... This is just interesting. I just want you to see the work of the church, okay? And, and there were in the church at Antioch. Well, what do we know about the church at Antioch? What's the one famous phrase that comes out of Antioch? It was at Antioch believers were first called Christians, Okay. And there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now this is significance. This is the this is the ordination event of where Barnabas and Saul start the first missionary journeys. Who had a hand in Paul's work as a missionary? Who? The church. Paul knew he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles because Jesus told him that. But it was the church that commissioned him. Um, sometimes we've gone to Southern Baptist conventions um, over the years and they'll have missionary commissioning services as part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So there'll be, you know, 12,000 preachers and, you know, messengers at the convention and in one, at one service they'll have like 50 missionaries 
and they'll have a commissioning service where the, the convention will be formally sending them off and commissioning them to be missionaries. Well, we get that from the text. So it says, so it says they, they set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So even Paul as an apostle just didn't just once God called him, he, he didn't just fly off and start doing his own thing. It was through the local church. And, and by the way, at the end of every missionary journey, you know what he would do? He'd go back to Antioch and tell them what they had done because they obviously supported him. So he would go back at the end of each missionary journey and would end up back at Antioch and tell them, hey, this is what God has done. But it says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Go back to Act, um, 1 Timothy 1. I, I need to hurry up. I, I, but that just shows you, number one, that God in His sovereignty uh, uses men. He in the book of Acts, the first chapter of Acts tells us that. You know, when they were going to replace, they had 12 apostles, then one was a liar, and, and he committed suicide. And what did they do? They replaced, they replaced uh, Judas with Matthias. Because, and again, I mean, it's not like God's whole worldly kingdom uh, of reaching the whole world with the gospel depended on Matthias, but they wanted to replace symbolically they wanted to replace and have the 12. And so they replaced, because in the bigger picture to me is this reminding us that God does His work through people like us. He uses people. Read Acts 1. He uses people just like me and you, just like Timothy and Paul. God uses people to reach people. When we talk about uh, even the doctrine of the incarnation, you know, God became a man the incarnate work of God, where God became a human being. Well, in, in many ways, we're, you still experience the incarnate word because God is, is revealing Himself to the world through us, through sinners saved by grace. So in many ways, Christ is still being incarnated to the world through, through us. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, you can defend that in many ways, but one would be, because the Bible says we are the body of Christ. Many members, yet one, right? It's what it says. So we are the body of Christ. So number one, God does... I want you to see in, in 1 Timothy 1 that it's about the people that God uses. Well then, in the midst of all this great celebration of God doing His work, and here's Timothy, he's pastoring at Ephesus. You know, this is several years after he started traveling with the Apostle Paul. So he's at Ephesus but in the midst of all this calling and gifting and responsibilities, you have this, this uh, warning about error. Okay? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. We've read, we've read it before, but look, look at verses 3 through 7. Now, this is Paul's correspondence. Now, he's written the book of Ephesians. Paul, I mean, Timothy wasn't the pastor of the church at Ephesus when Paul sent the letter to the Ephesians. But obviously it's there. So this is the first thing other than reminding Timothy of God's sovereignty and calling him into the ministry and Paul recognizing his gifts. So right after that, what does Paul do? He warns Timothy about false doctrine. I was looking at an old movie that was back in 2011 called Contagion. Now I didn't, I've never watched the whole movie 
but I remember the name. And it's a movie, it, it kind of reminds you of the COVID-19, but this contagion was obviously, it was passed from a, a pig, no, a bat, not bat droppings, but it was a bat was eating something, dropped it, a pig ate it. Bat was infected, the pig was infected, the butcher that handled the pig was infected, and we have a contagion, worldwide contagion. And if I remember correctly, they said 20% of the people that got it died. And it was just a, well, that happens with false doctrine. And the reason I, I know it's that serious is because down in verse 10, you're looking at your Bibles, look, look what he uses as a key word at the end. So verses 3 through 10, he talks about false doctrines and some of the, and, and by the way, they're from within. It's one thing for the world to make fun of us and for you know, the world to have a philosophy that, that denies Christianity or teaches false truths. That's one thing, and we expect that. But we should also expect that in every church, at any time, at any time, somebody can just hack off with some false doctrine and teach things. Uh, and, and, of course, that was happening. And so it's interesting to me as a pastor that this is the first warning. I mean, it's pretty significant that he, after saying, Hello, Timothy, remember God saved you and called you? Hey, next thing, hey, people are liars and they're going to teach false things and you need to watch them because they come from within the church. But he uses the word, look at verse 10. He mentions the section immoral and all that, but at the end he says, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. And that word sound, and I mentioned this last week probably, was, is the word, our English word hygiene, healthy. So looking at it from that perspective, God's word is, is the word that keeps us spiritually healthy. Anything that's outside of that is a spiritual contagion. By the way, Paul says in 2 Timothy that those kind of things spreads like cancer. So what do you, he uses the word gangrene in the Greek. But he says false doctrine will eat away at you like gangrene within a church. So when there's false doctrine and there's heresies, it has to be confronted or it will be like a spiritual contagion and people won't know what to believe. And so, so number one, and look, if we're doing a little outline, number one, it's about the people that God calls, of which you are one of them if you're saved. Number two, it's about the poison that can affect the work of God's church. And then Paul breaks out into this incredible praise. Let me pick up at verse 11. So again, you got to think, this is, now in four years from writing this, so Paul doesn't know he's going to be executed in four years, but I mean, he's been persecuted, um, he's been imprisoned, all that stuff. And, and of course, when he writes 2 Timothy, he knows he's fixing to die. But 1 Timothy, he, he still has lots of freedoms. But look what he says. Look, look at the praise it gives. He's, so we know the people, God uses people. We know there's poison that can, uh, can arise in the local church from within. And then he says about this, he says he praises in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He's just making this final statement. That God has entrusted to him the gospel. And then he says, I thank him who has given me strength 
Folks, I, I, whatever the circumstances you find yourself in, whether it's battling infidels at work, or whether you're struggling with a habitual sin, whether whatever it would be, we need to thank Him who gives us strength in Christ Jesus. Amen? He says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful. And we're learning about this on Wednesday nights. You know, talking about spiritual gifts. And we, again, continue that Wednesday night. He gives us... And as he says here, he says, and Paul says about himself, appointing, appointing me in his service. Folks, every one of us has an appointment to serve, right? Some of your translations say appointed me into ministry, which is a good translation, but it is the word servant, okay? Sir, we've already explored that word uh, last Sunday, but... It's deacon, but it's a verb. It's service. It's not the formal position. It's just all of us. So in one way, we're all deacons, right? We're all servants. And you've been appointed. You know, the, and, and everybody in here, if you're saved, you have an appointment of obedience. A specific gift that God wants you to use to help the church. To, as Paul says in many places, to build up the body of Christ. I mean, that is... One, if you want to say, do you know God's will for me? Well, I, I do know. By the way, I, I can tell you I know the complete will of God. It's that book right there. But here's one. You're gifted and God wants you to use your gift in the local church. That, I know that's God's will. Um, I was talking to Brent. Well, I'm chasing a rabbit now. But Brent that spoke with our men, you know, Coach Brent or whatever you want to call him, Brent Betts. One of the struggles they have, or he has as a believer and a theologian, you think through biblical things, is all these folks that are getting saved, you know, he's, and Doc, uh, Coach Freeze is uh, a devout Christian, but Auburn University football team, basketball team, track, that's not a church. You with me? It's not the church. So you have to separate folks following Christ through FCA and through organizations at the at the at the college, but it's still not the church. They have to be plugged into a church to do God's will. I mean, that's God's plan. You can't be a member of FCA, and that's what you do your whole life. You have to be in the local church. And I know that because it's right here in the text, right? It doesn't say university Christianity. It says the body, right? So so we, we talked a lot about that when we were away from you guys. Just talk about it. So anyway, so talk, it's a struggle. So... Paul praises the Lord for his call. I'm running out of time, but look at verse 13. Remember I mentioned he never really got over this, uh, this, his life before he got saved. You know, folks, I, I've done some things when I was on. Now, I got saved when I was 16, so it's not like I was a, you know, a, a massive drug dealer or had murdered people or robbed banks, but... Um, by the way, to tell you how bad sin is, and you know we can do it. I could do anything. You're cap- you and I are capable of doing anything. You know that. Given the right circumstances, right temptation, right anger, right attitude. You- but I can remember, and I've said this several times, and this, this is kind of embarrassing, but don't you think about this. When I was in high school, I'm going to make a point with this. Uh, 
I was in youth choir, and uh, we had a guy's ensemble that I sang in. I've shared this a couple of times. And, well, it was a quartet, as a matter of fact. It was four of us. And we sang several times. We weren't great, but we sang, you know, youth sing. People think they, they brag on you anyway because you're a youth. You know, they don't think, oh, that was great. It probably stunk, but they said it was great. But I sang with Barry, Corky, me, and Lenny. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm 16. Matter of fact, I was the oldest in the group. Okay, I'd gotten saved. Let's say I'm about to be 70. Lenny committed suicide. Barry robbed a bank. Corky committed murder and died in prison. Now, folks, I mean, that's from a little town in Weaver, Alabama, First Baptist Church of Weaver. Folks, sin, I mean, you can be around it. You can be around spiritual stuff. You can be religious. You can know the terms. You can come to the classes. But if it's not real, the devil's going to have his heyday, right? So, folks, we have to be ready. So Paul praises the Lord, but it grieves him, his past. Now, we can't... And by the way, if God's forgiven us, right? Has he forgiven us? That's right. And he's cast it behind him, Right? Out of his sight, as if it can. But that's, he wants us to understand it that way. It's human terms. He's cast our sin behind him so he can't see it, though he can. But he wills not to look behind. You with me? So it's, but Paul says, I, he said, though formerly I praise him. Now, if I, we all could stand up and talk about how bad we've been before we got saved, and we have regrets, and we all do. I, bla- I was a blasphemer, persecute, persecutor, and insolent opponent. And, and all of us could say something. But then he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Folks, that's true of every unsaved person when it comes to spiritual matters. Ignorant unbelief. And Paul says that kindly in several places because he says, because all of this that we're talking about and all the stuff we always talk about is spiritually discerned. Unbelievers can't comprehend this. So from a spiritual standpoint, they're in ignorant unbelief. They just and, and folks, they will be. You can't argue them into the kingdom, but it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that'll do it. You can't argue them. You can't, you have to let, you have to tell them God's Word and have to live it. And the Spirit and the Word will bring them to repentance. So Paul finishes this, he says, and I re- but I received mercy. You looking at your Bibles? Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Right? You'd say amen to that. Now, we're about out of time, but I want you to notice one last little thing here in chapter 1. He says this, you see this phrase, it says, the saying, this saying or the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You see that I, I'm at verse 15. Uh, interesting enough, that, that the, the term, the phrase, I'm sorry, not the term, the phrase, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. That, that phrase appears five times in the entire Bible. 
that, that first phrase of the first sentence. It appears five times in all of the Bible. All five times are found in the pastoral epistles. Three of them are in 1 Timothy, one of them is in 2 Timothy, and one of them is in Titus. So if five statements like that only appear in the pastoral epistles, and I want you to put your thinking hat on with me, if these statements only appear in the pastoral epistles, would it not be reasonable to think that these are statements of doctrinal beliefs that the church all agreed upon in the first century? Or they were parts of hymns that all the churches sang. Interesting, isn't it? That's why they're here. So Paul makes these emphatic statements. By the way, 1 Timothy here, 1 Timothy 1.15, 3.1 is one and 4.9 is another. But anyway, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This, this is what we believe, he says, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And of course, then he says something personal, of which I'm the worst. Folks, when you came into church today, it is spiritually right for you to think you're the most wicked person in here. That's the way it should be. You should detest yourself. Spiritually speaking, when you look at yourself in the mirror, it, it should nauseate you. But here's what we would rather do. We would rather look at other people and find the specks, right? We're specks. We love to look at little specks rather than the law. But Paul says, hey, Christ Jesus, here's a fact. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul says, let me be honest. I'm the worst one there's ever been. But hey, I received mercy. Folks, you received mercy. I, I don't care who you are, where you're from, if you're born again. The fact is you're born again because you have received God's mercy. Amen? Now, last thing I want you to notice, and just drop down. I've got one minute. Look at, uh, look at verse 18. So we talked about the people. We talked about the poison. Paul makes this praise to the Lord. Then he says, um, I think it's got this small print Bible. Yeah. 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. Here's, here's the prophetic charge. Okay, God's prophetic charge to Timothy. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. And that goes all the way back to what people said about him in Acts. And that's not the only place that you find those. The prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. There's no better word to describe what the Christian life is like right now as, as we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's war. It's war. Every moment of every day, it's spiritual warfare. And Paul says that we're to wage a good warfare. You know, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, and I'll finish, he says, you know, he said, I, he said, I, I buffet my body, I discipline my body. And keep it under subjection. And he's not talking about, you know, I run 10 miles a day so I won't be fat. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the flesh, the old man. 
He said, I, I buffet my body, I, I crucify my flesh, and I keep it under subjection so that if I might not preach to others, that I might not just... So he says, so that I won't preach to others, but myself I'll be, I'll be disqualified. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, it's one thing for me to go around and fulfill my role as an apostle. God called him to preach. And a matter of fact, Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach. He said, don't brag on me for being a preacher. He said, I can't do nothing but preach because God's called me. But he says, what I don't want to do is to preach to others. But at the same time, me did as a, he's using sports terms. And at the same time, though you might not know it about Paul, him be disqualified that on the inside of him, he's not the real deal. He's, he's not living right. So he says, I don't want to preach to others at the same time be spiritually disqualified because of how I'm living or how I'm thinking. Folks, all of us have that temptation. So we need to run with endurance. If, if you look at your... You got a bulletin right there? You got a bulletin nearby? Okay, look at... Let's stand together. Let, let me show you something in your bulletins. I know I have a bulletin because I, I led church today. Um, okay, let's stand. We're going to get there. Hold on, here it is. Here, don't... Look at your bulletin on the, hopefully she put it, look at the right hand side and we'll finish with this. Here's, now, you know, we have this focus and we have all these, I will, I won't, you know, we have, and I haven't, we, I'll not talk about that now, but there's three things I want to, we're living in the light of eternity. You see right here? Looking to Jesus, running with endurance, and finishing the race. Right? That we're living in the light of eternity. You know, we're living in the light of Christ, pursuing, but we need to look to Jesus, right? Run with endurance. It's, it's not a 10-mile, it's a lifelong, and finish with grace. That's what God wants all of us to do. Dale, you come. And after you do what you need to do, then one of y'all close in prayer. Uh, this two weeks, we are...